0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I have some really fun news I get to share here before we jump into God's Word. Um, you know, our partners, uh, the nonprofit that we founded here from Outlook called Renewal Neighborhood ministry, and then uh, earlier this year, the church that spawned from that work, Renewal Community Church. uh, Every year for the last several years, we've had a Christmas store at 42nd and Post, and it just happened this year, yesterday, and got a morning uh, communication from Mike Wilkins, uh, the pastor at Renewal Community Church, former missions pastor here, and he let me know that 135 families came through the Christmas store yesterday buying gifts for 596 kids. Isn't that awesome? Last year it was 100 families, 417 kids. So we went to 135 from 100 and from 417 to 596. I just think of that almost 600 kids who will have gifts under the tree next weekend, because of your generosity. And I just want to say thank you for being such a generous, selfless, giving, and enthusiastically so, church. It's a blessing to be a part of that, and I wanted to share that good news with you. Uh, Well, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to pray with you as we jump into our Christmas uh, story for this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray, as our brother Jason just did, that we would be open recipients of your word this morning, Lord, as we open up our Bibles and, and hear again what might be some pretty familiar passages uh, in, in this Christmas time, help us to hear them afresh and uh, to apply them anew to our lives. That's our prayer, Lord. Find us open and ready to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there are so many characters associated with this season, right? This Christmas Christmas season in movies and books and television, in plays, you name it. But we have been in this series heading back to the originals, the very real, completely true biblical characters of Christmas. Now, we started with what could be seen as a biopic of Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, three people, and the pivotal decisions that they made. Then last Sunday, we found ourselves in a psychological political thriller, part mystery, part tragedy, all drama and intrigue and suspense. And today might be seen as a documentary, an expose of that very night and how it all went down and who was really there with a lot of, can you believe it? And how could this be? And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 2 Starting in verse 8, you are always welcome to grab a Bible from the Bible carts in the back. There's another one in the comments. If you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, you can write your name in one of those and make it yours to keep. But we are going to be in Luke chapter 2 here, starting in verse 8. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So let's learn about these Shepherds in these fields watching those flocks that night. Shepherds in the first century of Palestine were poor, and rabbinic traditions labeled them as unclean, which in the parlance of that day and in the, in the, in the, in what that meant, it means categorically unacceptable to worship. If someone was uh, labeled as unclean, it meant they couldn't go into the temple, it means they couldn't get near uh, worship activities, and in fact, most people just avoided them altogether. Let that sink in for a second. These characters of Christmas were categorically unclean. That's at least the way not only society, but their religion saw them. Socially, shepherds were then regarded as, low, as part of a low-class subculture. They were often isolated from mainstream Jewish life. Flocks sometimes ate private property, so usually if you saw a shepherd, it meant you were shooing them away, get off my property. They were lonely, so you can tell that they were kind of outcasts. And they spent their days and nights with sheep in the open field, so they smelled like sheep. I just like to make sure you're awake sometimes, you know? Every now and then I need to know it. They were lowly and uneducated. Really, they were out of sight. Pardon me. They were out of sight and they were out of mind. These are the shepherds. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So these shepherds close to the bottom of the social scale, right there with lepers and beggars, these were the first people to hear the message of the birth of Jesus. Now sadly, every society has people in it that it shoves into onto a lower strata. This is fallen human nature. We live in a fallen world full of injustices. It's not right, but it's real. In fact, it's at this moment we do well to be reminded that that's exactly why Christians should never stop talking about and addressing justice issues. Wherever in the social structure we find ourselves living, we as Jesus followers, as believers in this Messiah that we're celebrating at Christmas time, we are always supposed to be the ones who are most mindful. If anyone in the society is mindful, Christians should be the most mindful of the forgotten the shoved aside, the mistreated, and the disenfranchised among us. Like I said, such conditions are not right, but they are real. And what we see in this story is that's exactly where God makes sure to go. It is nuts that angels are visiting shepherds when you really think about the context of the day and time. We think this whole shepherd scene is pretty quaint and uh, Uh, Just as it should be somehow, right? We've heard it so many times, and it looks good in our nativity sets, and we just kind of see it as what it is. But it's because we've become familiar. And familiar can be fine unless it dulls the edges of this story for us. The world then and the world today aren't that much different. The world screams and pushes the message relentlessly usually elevating the attractive, the clever, the wealthy, the influential, and then screaming relentlessly to us, this is who matters. It's This is who's powerful and important. This is who's worth your time and who will really get things done. This is who will mean something in history. But man, Our Lord is making it plain here. Every soul matters. And the more forgotten and neglected they are, the more God makes sure they are neither. Amen? They are neither. I got to admit, if I were an angel, and my wife says I am, but you know. If I were an angel, I'd be thinking, oh man! It's finally happening. You know, we're going to get to announce the birth of the Messiah. We've been waiting a long time. The Jewish people have been waiting a long time. Prophets talked about it centuries ago, and now you're saying tonight's the night. Who are we telling? What's our assignment? Kings? Generals? Dignitaries? Priests? Scholars? Shepherds? You've got to be kidding me. Like, this is not what I would have expected if I were an angel getting this assignment to break in in Bethlehem's skyline that night. See, what we're talking about here is exactly what Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang about at one point in her pregnancy. There's this great moment in Luke chapter 1, just a chapter before this one. Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant." He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. This is an absolutely recurring theme throughout Scripture. God lifts up the humble. And we see it in action right here with these shepherds. I mean, it cannot be more plain, more clear that God is targeting those that everyone else isn't even given a thought to, those shepherds, out on the hillside at night, forgotten, kind of set aside, That is who he chooses to send the angels to visit. Think about the book of Acts. Now we're skipping ahead a bit. Jesus has died and rose again. His disciples are out there spreading uh, the news. And remember what the religious leader said about the disciples? They are unschooled, ordinary men. The only thing that was special about them? It was obvious they had been with Jesus. This is absolutely the way God works. I'm thinking of this one passage. I don't have it on the screen here, but. Paul is writing to these early Christians in a city named Corinth. And he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were, what many of you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, he says. Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Again, this is the way he works. Show me who's forgotten. Show me who society devalues and I'm going to show you what love looks like. That's what God does. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Show me those who have confident confidence only in their own abilities and who think they have all kinds of power and influence in this world. And I'm going to show you what I can do through people who think they've got nothing to offer. Because those are the very people who will let me work in their lives. And when they do, you'll begin to see that what I have to offer far exceeds what anything this world, anything that this world promises. So in this opening scene, just a couple of verses in here already, we see who God delights to include. And it's a beautiful thing to see. The very people that would have been neglected by everyone are absolutely the center of attention to God. Now it says they were frightened. Makes sense. I'd be frightened too. Terrified even, it says, by the sight of the angels. But they were asked to visit the Christ child. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I love the repeated use of the term to you. Born to you, shepherds. Not just to you, but also to you. There will be a sign to you. The invitation here begins, and it starts with them. There is a Messiah, the Lord, and you will find. You, shepherds, you will find what we're describing. You will find what you've been looking for. See, this was something long anticipated and understood. The shepherds would have known, being Jewish as they were, that the the whole people have for centuries been waiting for the Messiah the anticipated one. And that the Messiah, which means Savior, would be the King of Israel. So these words all go together. Messiah, Savior, King. They're all part of the same image. And that's exactly now what's being announced to them. Now from their point of view, if the child truly was the Messiah, right, this one that you grew up uh, knowing about and hearing about and, and being taught about and understanding that everyone is, is praying for and, and looking for this day. From, if you're a shepherd, then from your point of view, if the child truly is the Messiah, the parents would reject the shepherds if they tried to visit him. Remember, they're categorically unacceptable, unclean. So to them, a sure sign of a king would be telling us to leave, right? If we knock on the door and they say, get out of here, Oh, we're probably amongst royalty, because what royalty would ever welcome us, right? Not this king, not this kingdom. It doesn't operate that way. How could the shepherds be convinced to expect a welcome? It seems the angels anticipated this anxiety and told the shepherds that they would find the baby wrapped in cloths, which is the way peasants, like shepherds, wrapped their own newborn children. Furthermore, they were told that he would be lying in a manger. This specificity for them was going to be comforting. and that, In other words, they would find the Christ child in an ordinary peasant home. Not, he was not in the governor's mansion. He was not in a wealthy merchant's guest room. And this was really good news. They would find him in a feeding trough. Perhaps they would not be told, unclean shepherds, be gone. This was their sign. This will be a sign to you. A special sign of encouragement for lowly shepherds. Maybe this morning you need a sign, a signal that God is with you, hasn't given up on you, that he sees you, hasn't forgotten you. Consider this the word you're looking for. That's the way God's word works. We have our Bibles open before us and we are reading a story a true story of God not only remembering but bringing to the center of the stage in this scene, this opening scene of our time together today, the people everyone else would have forgotten were even there. When you feel forgotten, know that God is the same and his story goes on and that in a real sense, you too are a character of Christmas. Now there's also another layer to this drama that reveals new meaning to the angel's announcement. At least I found this pretty interesting. So go with me for a second on a little side trail here as we get a little extra meaning into these words that we're hearing. Every Christmas we read, or hear Linus on a Charlie Brown Christmas read, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. Remember that? We read that as a passing incidental reference to Caesar that sets up the reason that Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem. But Luke's mention of Caesar Augustus isn't incidental or minor. It sets the whole backdrop of the story. And the earlier readers, the original readers of this uh, Gospel of Luke would have appreciated this far more than you or I might today. Caesar Augustus, his real name was Octavian, He was the grand-nephew and adopted son and heir of Julius Caesar. When Julius Caesar was betrayed and killed, remember that? Ides of March, all that stuff. Octavian did a couple of things. First, he adopted his father's family name, Caesar. Second, he claimed that his father was a god and was sitting at the right hand of Zeus. And if his father was a god, what did that make him? A son of God. We have records and coins of inscriptions that Octavian, that Octavian used to call himself exactly that title, Son of God. When the civil war that resulted from his father's death finally ended, Octavian defeated his main rival, Mark Antony, and peace was restored to the empire. Octavian rose to power, hailed as the bringer of peace. Priests were instructed to include his name in all prayers and vows. His birthday and the date of his victory became national holidays. He came to be known as Savior of the Empire, bringing peace and salvation. He was called the Lord and came to be worshipped as a god on earth. Roman citizens were commanded to pray to him and offer sacrifices. Temples and shrines were built in his name, and monuments all over the empire listed his accomplishments, beginning by describing his birth as good news. So it's with, with that historical background in mind that the announcement by the angels made to the shepherds becomes stunning. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now this is simply amazing. It was said that Caesar was Savior, Lord, and bringer of peace, that his birthday was good news, and his empire was salvation. And here, in a corner of the most powerful uh, kingdom the world had ever seen up to that point, the Roman Empire, shepherds, not priests, not rulers, not the elite, were the first to hear the really good news of a different Savior, Lord and King, who would usher a real peace and a lasting salvation. I recently read um, about what all went into making possible a visit by Queen Elizabeth to another country. Now, God bless her soul, right? And if you've watched The Crown, you know she had a hard job, so we can all feel, feel for her in that way. But I still thought this was a pretty interesting story. When, when Great Britain's Queen Elizabeth II visited the United States, one of the one of those visits that she made here. It's been a while now. Reporters delighted in spelling out the logistics involved in her visit. 4,000 pounds of luggage included two outfits for every occasion, a morning outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, white leather toilet seat covers. Sounds like a great idea. You know, I'm starting to think this should be my packing list. Like, her own hairdresser, Valets and a whole host of attendants. A brief visit to a foreign country could easily cost $20 million. This is not the kind of king that Jesus was born in a stable, lying in a feeding trough. He was from the start a totally different kind of king, a king who invited shepherds to his birth. Back in 2010, I got the chance to visit Israel. It's unforgettable. Uh, trip And Bethlehem was one of the places that we got to go. I took these photos one, that evening. We had just left the Church of the Nativity. Um, and I took this photo. Uh, there, uh, the moon just beginning to appear, and night was starting to fall. And I have to say, uh, standing at the top of that hillside, it was not difficult to imagine that whole night sky just filling up with light and the sounds of angels or that moment when they left. It says in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. I love the simplicity of their response, right? Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. As this portal between the earthly night and the heavenly light folds shut, And as the chorus of those angel voices is still echoing off the hillsides and ringing in their ears, but is now replaced with the subtle sounds, the lowing of their simple sheep, they look at each other and can only come to one conclusion. Let's go and see this thing the Lord has told us about. Let me just ask you real quick, what has the Lord told you about? His love? I hope you're hearing that this morning his care for you? Maybe even his purposes for you. Maybe there's something over the course of time that you could probably point to and say, yeah, I've learned about that. The Lord has taught me and told me about this or that. What am I doing with it? Where am I going with it? I'd encourage you. Let's go. Whatever the Lord has placed on your heart, whoever the Lord has kind of painted a picture in your mind that you could be and become whatever it is in this world He might be calling you to do, you've got a church that's, that's ready and you've got pastors who are ready to walk alongside you in that journey. I'm saying let's go. Let's become the people that God has always intended us to be, step by step, not stopping, but always moving forward in that calling, in that destiny, in that story that He has for us amen let's go let's do it so they hurried off it says in verse 16 and found mary and joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them what what a moment that must have been people are listening to us people are paying attention We actually get to have a a place in, in society, in the dialogue of the day. Yeah, we were there, and these angels said this, and then everything they said, we found it right over here, and isn't this the Messiah, the Lord? They hurried off. They spread the word. The first to get the news, and the first to spread the news, were these lowly shepherds. And so it begins. And so it continues even today. Come and see. Go and tell. The message of Christmas. That's why those postcards are still on our seats. So many of you have been taking them and inviting people to church, to Christmas Eve, and to here, here at Outlook. It's just a simple continuation of what we're reading right here. They spread the news concerning what they had seen and heard. Verse 19, as we wrap up here, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's grab our bread and cup here as we wrap up our time. And I just want to turn our thoughts as we conclude here to what we've been reading and what we see happening here at the end, what a night this has been, right? A child has been born, shepherds have been alerted, they're visiting, now they're spreading the word, and it says that the shepherds, they're glorifying and praising God for all these things. They're kind of like looking at each other like, what just happened? But it says here that Mary sits in wonders. What is happening? Imagine the wonder it must have been to think that angels are announcing your son's birth. And people are showing up with stories that you would not believe it if an angel hadn't told you yourself that this was going to happen. She treasured these things. She pondered them. I think it's a great description of what we can, we can do, get better at doing, sitting in a little bit of silence and thoughtful prayer, pondering and treasuring. In fact, I think it's a precious thing that we carve out a moment every week to do just that, to treasure and to ponder, because what could be more of a treasure than the bread and the cup that Jesus gives us to take each week? He asked his disciples to do that when they would gather, to remember him and thank him for his body that was given for all of us, and that when we would eat that bread, that we would do it in remembrance of him. Let's do that together. And what an amazing thing it is to ponder, to really thoughtfully let turn over in our mind the mystery and the wonder that the Son of God, that this baby would grow to be a rabbi and a teacher, and that he would give his life on a cross and then conquer death by walking out of his own grave. That that story that we're seeing just at the very beginning right here would play out the way it did and continues to play out with us, And here we are on the other side of the world 20 centuries later still taking the bread and the cup and thanking Him for the blood that He shed for us. Let's do that together too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the good truth of this story. <clears throat> that <clears throat> whoever we are <coughs> pardon me That, Lord, whoever we are and however we find ourselves in society's kind of cruel and brutal strata of um, acceptability or power or influence or attractiveness or intellect or all the things that that, uh, culture values. That you see us for exactly who we are, loved and cared for by you that you never write us off. You never ignore or shove us aside. Help us, Lord, to see that truth, to accept that gift, to see it in this story, and then to see it in our own story. And then empower us, Lord, to be the people on this earth who continue that kind of love and grace, who... Reach out to anyone who's been shoved aside, who don't forget what everyone, the people that everyone else forgets, who don't neglect the people everyone else neglects, who have a heart for those who are hurting who've, and who've been, who've been victimized or, or who suffer, who've been put in a category cruelly and said, you're unacceptable or unclean. Lord, help us to be the ones who walk into that space with a load of love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.